0: Amen. We will go ahead and dismiss our kids to kids church this morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of John. I know many of you were uh, disappointed uh, that we weren't in John the past couple weeks. Well, uh, don't worry. We're going back. John chapter 14. uh, We are going to be verses 1 through 6 uh, this morning. John chapter 14. Uh, verses 1 through 6. Very familiar passage uh, for most of us. Uh, This is, if you've been to a funeral, you've probably heard this passage. Uh, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Uh, That's where we begin this morning. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Jesus speaking to his disciples says this. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come to be also. And to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Let's pray. God, as we begin this new year, as we look at Jesus' encouragement to the disciples in the midst of his pending departure, their separation, their anxiety, their worry, their fear. He comforts them. Lord, this morning, in the midst of our hurt, anxiety, worry, fear, may we find comfort in Christ. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's my prayer this morning that as you leave, that you will find rest you will find comfort in the presence of christ the other day my 18 year old and and you know i keep waiting for this parenting thing to become easy (laughs) i keep thinking well well once they get out of this phase the next step the next phase it's got to be easier than this right you know there you you begin with the sleepless nights and you think once they start sleeping through the night, that'll be easier. And then they start, you know. Once they start sleeping through the night, they're also crawling and they're also getting into everything. You're putting everything in their mouth, and 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 you think, okay, well, once once they start talking, then things will be easier because then they can tell me what they want. And then they start talking and and school and and they, and you, you think, well, well, once they once they get into to preschool and, and school and and they have somewhere to go and they have structure and 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 there's you know I'm. They're not up under my feet, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. Maybe then it'll be easier. And I keep, I keep waiting for that phase when it becomes easy. Uh, I'll let you know when I get there. <clears throat> so my eighteen-year-old uh, asked him the other day. I said, um, I said, look, whenever you're going to be out, you know, and 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 just so you know, you know, once they're eighteen, they're grown. They know everything. Uh, you can't tell them anything. Uh, they're, 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 they're adults. And God forbid you have expectations upon them for them to communicate with them, w- with you so you don't worry about them. So that, that was the nature of our conversation. I said, son, whenever you're going to be late, you know, let me know so that I don't worry about you. And he says, dad, you don't have to worry about me. And I told him, I said, until you have children, you don't get to say that. The, the, you, you can't say "Don't worry about me," because that that's not going to happen. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. You know, every every night, whenever you get up to go to the restroom, you 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 stick your head in their bedroom, make sure everything is good. You, it, it's just it's part of being, a, whether I have to or not, it's happening. Uh, just by nature of being human, by nature of being a parent, and the love and the care that we have for our children. And I say all that to say that our world and the the lives that we lead are filled with anxiety, worry, fear. And even though we know the passage of Scripture, Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for today has enough trouble of its own. Jesus said, Look at the flowers of the field. They are arrayed with more glory than Solomon." And they neither toil nor work. Look at the birds of the air. And doesn't God take care of them? How much more do you matter, do you matter to the Father than the birds and the flower? Will he not take care of them? We know these truths. And so we say, oh, don't worry, God's got it. Okay, simple enough, right? And the worst thing you can do to somebody who is worrying or filled with anxiety or fear is tell them, don't worry, Right? just like the worst thing you can do uh, to uh, uh, your wife or uh, your significant other whenever they uh, are emotionally uh, charged, uh, don't tell them to calm down. Uh, that, that doesn't work, just so you know. Uh, this is experience talking. Telling someone not to worry is similar. Telling someone not to worry, it, it, it doesn't, it's like, oh, okay, then I won't worry. Thanks for telling me. I appreciate that. That, that, that's not how it works and so i want us to look at the words of christ because i believe the words of christ to his disciples gives us some some basis and some foundations for us to address the worry and the fear and the anxiety that we experience on a day-to-day basis now let us set the stage jesus has entered into jerusalem we are in the triumphal entry this is this is or we are past the triumphal entry this is Moments before Jesus' trial, he's just had the Lord's Supper. He's just washed the disciples' feet. They are about to make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He is about to to tell them, "Look, you stay here and and pray while I go aside." And we're about to have this this moment with with Jesus praying to the Lord. Uh, you know, we we get the high priestly prayer that's coming, and immediately following that. It's Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his trial before Annas, trial before Caiaphas, trial before Herod, trial back before Pilate, and then he is sentenced to death. So this is mere hours before the hour that Jesus has been looking forward to, has been anticipating his entire earthly ministry. He said over and over again, my hour's not yet come, my hour's not yet come, my hour's not yet come. And then in John, John chapter 13, he says, my hour. Has come. And now, John chapter 14, John's going to spend the next three chapters, Jesus is going to spend the next three chapters, John chapter 14, 15, and 16, speaking directly to his disciples to encourage them, to comfort them, to strengthen them with his pending departure. Because in John chapter 13, he has just told them, I'm only here with you for a little while. I have to go. And my departure is creating his his impending departure is creating this this anxiety and separation naturally creates loneliness anxiety. Over the last several years we've had several church members who've gone on to be with the Lord. And we have several widows and widowers here in our church body and as we look back on this, my wife and I were talking and, and she said, you know, 50% of people are going to experience this. If you're married, one of you is going to bury the other. With, with, with a, a few exceptions. Yes, you can both die in a car accident. Yes, you know there are uh, natural disasters and you may both go together, you know, you know cross your fingers. Uh, but, but the reality is is that most of you are going to, bury one of your spouses that's just the the that's just the nature of life and that separation naturally creates anxiety if if you've been together for 40 50 60 years whenever one of you dies and goes home to be with the lord the reality is is that the other one's going to look at each other or i'm I'm sorry they're going to look around and they're going to be like okay now what i've been with this person for For 50 years, 60 years, and they're gone, now what? For those of us who've been caretakers, whether it's a parent, whether it's a spouse, someone who's been ill, you spend days, weeks, months, even years caring for them, and then they die, they go home to be with the Lord, and then you're looking around and you say, now what? This is where the disciples are. They have been following Jesus for three years. They have been with him day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They have walked with him. They have experienced, a tra- they have experienced hardship and pain, ridicule. They have experienced glory. They've experienced a transfiguration. They've seen him walk on water. He's, he's cast out demons. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. They just saw Lazarus come back to life. He has done miraculous things. They have experienced God in all of his glory, and now he's leaving. And they're looking around and they, they say, now what? And so this is the context of Jesus' statements. He says, in my departure, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be anxious. If you believe in God, believe also in me. I think it's interesting that at this moment, of Jesus' pending departure, he has been anticipating this moment, this hour, arguably from eternity past. Because the scripture tells us that the cross, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was God's eternal plan from the beginning that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. So this hour, this moment of Jesus' departure, this moment where he would be exalted, where he would be lifted up upon a cross, this moment where he would take upon himself the sin of the world, this moment where Christ would become the sacrificial lamb. John said, behold, the lamb of God. Jesus would become that Passover lamb. And it is arguable that Jesus had been Anticipating, looking at this moment from eternity past. And at this moment, what is is Jesus' main concern? What is he consumed with? What the scripture tells us, he's consumed with care for his disciples. How unbelievably selfless is that? Think about your own life. Think about whenever you have something that is that is weighing heavy upon your heart. Maybe it's a, a job interview, or maybe it's it's you know traveling, or maybe anything that, that brings about angst or anxiety or, or or turmoil in your life. Maybe it's a, a hard conversation with a friend, maybe it's it's the the impending you know, dynamics changing in your family, whatever it may be. And whenever that is, is right on the horizon, are you thinking about others? Probably not. Because if you're like me, you think about yourself more than you think about anybody else. And if you're like me, anytime you encounter someone and, and they are short or they're they are cross with you, then, then obviously there has, obviously it has to do with me. It can't possibly be something going on in their life because I am so completely self-absorbed that anytime somebody is, is short or, 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 or there's a crossword, it must have something to do with me because I'm the most important person in the world and everything in the whole universe surround, revolves around me. That's the way humans think. We become the center of our universe. But interestingly enough, at this moment, at arguably one of the most crucial times in the life of Christ, who is he concerned about? Not himself. He looks to his disciples. He sees the the impending turmoil and angst and anxiety and worry and fear. And he begins to comfort them. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In Jesus' most trying hour, he's concerned for others I believe that one of the most Christ-like attributes is being concerned, being others-focused. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this as he encourages the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but for the interest of others. And Jesus embodied this at the very moment of his greatest trial. He's others focused. We see this on the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross. His body is mere moments away from death. He's been flogged and beaten to a bloody pulp. And he looks at John. He says, behold your mother. He looks at Mary. He says, behold your son. He's concerned about others. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How unbelievably selfless. Church, we would do well to think about ourself less and think about others more. The most Christ-like thing, that, that attribute that I believe that, that we should embody is that selflessness, others focused. I want to encourage you with that this morning. I want us to note the source of the disciples' angst and turmoil is their faith notice what jesus says in john chapter uh, john chapter 14 verse two i'm sorry verse one he says do not let your heart be troubled why would your heart be troubled believe in god believe also in me their, the source of their anxiety the source of their fear the source of their their troubled spirit is their faith believe Believe in God, believe also in me. Or their lack of faith. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6, we see the Lord, uh, Solomon tells us, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understandings, in all of your ways, acknowledge me, and I will direct your paths. We see Psalm 23. Jesus is um, we see the encouragement of the, the, the great shepherd. We say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. The the statement where David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. The anxiety and the fear is not dispelled by the lack of hurt, pain, difficulty, trouble, but the presence of God in the midst of hurt, pain, difficulty, and trouble. And so, Jesus is communicating to his disciples this very principle. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, I want us to see this passage. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31. Moses is about to depart his people. This is a very similar setting for Jesus and his disciples as Moses is about to leave the people of Israel. Moses has been the only leader they have ever known. Remember everyone that has came out of the wilderness that was 18 years and old or older with the exception of Joshua and Caleb is dead. And now the people of Israel are about to enter into the promised land and the only leader that they have ever known is Moses. And Moses tells them, oh, by the way, you're going to have to enter into the promised land. You're going to have to cross over the Jordan River and you're going to have to battle all of the people of Canaan. You're going to have to, to battle and go, go through all of this, this trial and all this hardship and all this difficulty. And I'm not going to be there. Obviously, there's angst. There's there's difficulty. There's there's this, this worry, this anxiety that fills the people of Israel. And look at Moses' encouragement in verse 7 and 8. Moses called to Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. And the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you, and he will be with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Moses tells Joshua and all the people of Israel, don't be afraid, don't worry, don't be filled with anxiety because it is the Lord who goes before you. Trust, have faith, believe. Not you, not in your own ability, not in your own effort, not in your own goodness. Trust that God has gone before you. Trust that He is the one who delivers you. And that's the same message that Jesus gives to His disciples. He says, believe. Not in yourselves, not in your own ability, not in your your ability to pull yourself up from your bootstraps, but believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe that God has made a way. Believe that God is your provision. God is your Redeemer. God is the one who is going to, to guide you and guard you and give you rest during this time. The truth of God dispels fear. The truth of God dispels anxiety. As David walks on the battlefield against Goliath, he has an uncanny confidence. And his confidence, I don't believe, is in his ability. Yes, he has killed the bear the lion, as it has come after his flock. Yes, he is confident in his ability, but he's not going against a bear and a lion. He's going against a nine-foot champion from Gath. But listen to his statement in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34 through 37. Young David says this, "...the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion..." I'm sorry, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when the lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock and I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. And your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, listen to this in verse 37. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, may the Lord be with you. David's faith and his trust and his confidence was not in his ability, but was in in God's abiding presence with him. He said, the Lord will be with me. The Lord deliver me out of the hand of the lion. The Lord deliver me out of the hand of the bear. The Lord will deliver me out of the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. It is his faith and his trust in the Lord that gives him confidence. And that is the same faith and the trust that we should have as we enter difficulty. Not in our ability, but in his ability. The truth of God will despair fear and anxiety. But the truth of God has to be burned into our brain over and over and over and over again. We are the product of our environment. We're the product of our environment and because of the environment that we live in, we have certain tendencies that are burned into our brain. The neurological pathways are burned into our brain so that we respond and react almost as a reaction, almost as a, a, an a unconscious response. There was a... My brother-in-law, or my brother and sister-in-law <clears throat> adopted their... or was caring for their niece for a little while. She had been, she had been neglected. She had been uh, malnourished. They got her whenever she was about nine months old, and she weighed about 10 pounds, 12 pounds. She had gotten to the point that she no longer cried when she was hungry. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, when we have babies, babies instinctively, without even thinking, whenever they're hungry, whenever they're wet, whenever they're, they're tired, whatever pain, difficulty, in anything that, that, that discomfort that they feel, they cry. That's the only way that they know to communicate. And so they cry to communicate to mom and dad that something is wrong. You need to fix it. At nine months old, this baby had been trained. The neurological pathways in her brain had been rewired to communicate to her that crying does not alleviate the hunger, the pain, the discomfort. And so her brain had been rewired so that the neurological pathways had been changed. And so what did they have to do? They had to retrain her brain so that whenever she felt discomfort or hurt or hunger or pain, that she would communicate that this, I I need this. Those needs have to be communicated. Well, we, our brains have been wired, have been, the neurological pathways in our brain have been wired to to worry, to to be anxious, to be fearful of what Is coming. And the only way that we change that is by rewiring our brains. The only way we rewire our brain is constantly, methodically, repetitively preach and teach to ourselves the truth of God. Whenever we are anxious, whenever we're worried, whenever we're filled with fear and anxiety, the response, what times I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. Fear not, for I am with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, you are with me. Your rod and your staff doth comfort me. We have to consistently, methodically, repetitively continue to teach the truth of God to our heart and to our mind so that we rewire our brain. That happens by consistency over and over and over again. That's why memorization of Scripture is so important. That's why Joshua says, the book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but on it I shall meditate day and night. Day and night, constantly, consistently, repetitively so that I can rewire my brain because now the angst of my brain is, is bent toward these human and these sinful tendencies of angst, of worry, of fear. That's where we're geared. That's where we're wired. So we have to rewire our brains. That's what Paul meant when he said, take every thought captive and make it be obedient to Christ. The application, the the medicine for our faulty thinking is god's truth is god's word jesus communicates to his disciples don't worry believe in god believe also in me and look at what he says after that in john chapter 14 he tells his disciples do not worry Do not be anxious. Do not be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And then Jesus gives them the source of their comfort. Verse 2 and verse 3. He said, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you To myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I want us to notice two things. One, the emphasis is not on the dwelling place. We've heard pastor and teacher and preacher preach about the mansions that we're gonna receive in glory. And we may indeed receive mansions in glory, but that's not what the emphasis is on this passage. In fact, the language says nothing about mansions. That is a translation that was taken from the Latin Vulgate and has been carried over to the King James and then the New King James. The, the context of the Greek has nothing, says nothing about mansions. The context of the Greek says this, in my father's house, there are many resting places, many places of abode, many places to dwell. Almost, as, almost the idea that my father has this giant house and there are a bajillion rooms there and you can come and you can rest and you can find solace and you can find peace and you can find comfort. But the emphasis is not on the luxury. The emphasis is on the abundance. In my father's house are many dwelling places and the emphasis is on the location of, Not glory, not heaven, not streets of gold, not crystal sea. But look at what he says. Where I am, there you may be. I will come and receive you to myself. Jesus said, I go. And it's necessary that I go. We'll see in John chapter 14 later on. Jesus said, it is good for me that I go. It is necessary that I go. Because if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit won't come. And you need the Holy Spirit. You need his abiding presence within you. But Jesus says that don't worry if I go to prepare and His preparation of that place is His death on the cross as He goes and He stands trial and He is crucified and He is buried and He raises from the dead victorious over sin, death, and the grave. That preparation that He is is preparing a place for us, He is making atonement for our sin that He will come and bring us to Himself. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be. The emphasis, church, is on abiding, resting, being with Christ. The comfort that he gives his disciples is not a mansion in glory, it's not streets of gold and crystal sea. The comfort that he gives his disciples is himself says, I will be with you. What's the comfort that David feels in the valley of the shadow of death? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It is the comfort of God's presence. The grandeur of heaven is not streets of gold and crystal sea and mansions. The glory of heaven is God Himself. We will be in the presence of goodness, of grace, of glory, of majesty. We will be in the presence of God in all of his goodness. Moses asked God. He said, let me see your glory. And God said, you can't handle it. Moses begged and pleaded. So God hollowed out a cleft of rock and he stuck Moses in it and he passed by. And for just a brief moment, he allowed Moses to see the backside of his goodness. And Moses came down from heaven glowing with the Shekinah glory of God. And the people that looked upon Moses couldn't even look upon them to put veils over their faces because he shone with the glory of God. And the great reward and the great comfort of God's goodness is his presence, church. We will abide with Him. We will know Him. Paul said it in First Corinthians chapter thirteen. We will know Him fully, as we are fully known. That word knowledge is the same word that that we see. Adam knew his wife, and they had children. It is the idea of an intimate relationship. And he says. We will know Him fully as we are fully known. God knows us in an intimate way that we can never even possibly understand. And on the other side of glory, we will experience that abiding presence and we will know Him with that glory. We will be in His presence. And so church, the comfort in the midst of hurt, anxiety, fear is God's presence. When we're fearful, we must go to the Lord. That's easy for you to say, preacher. It's easy for you to stand up behind a pulpit and say, when you're fearful, when you're anxious, when you're experiencing turmoil and difficulty and angst and whatever, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. It's that rewiring of your brain, church. You think, "This, this will never work. But if you begin to do it consistently, faithfully, meditate on the Word, meditate on God's truth, eventually those neuropathways begin to be rewired. And without even realizing it, when you experience trial and difficulty and hurt, your natural reaction is going to be to go to the Lord. To treat that infirmity of fear and anxiety with the salve of the Word of God. The, Hebrew, the book of Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it is like a surgeon's scalpel, that it is healing and comforting. The emphasis in verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 3 and 4, is Jesus will go and prepare place. And that place will be with Him. And there is ample room. But there's only one way. And that's through Christ. Through His death, His burial, and His resurrection. The only way to know peace, the only way to know rest in God's presence is through Jesus. There's an exclusivity with Christianity. The message of the gospel is for everyone. For there is plenty of room. But the message of the gospel is exclusive. The only way to get to that presence, the only way to experience that rest, the only way to be in the abiding presence of God is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and that's it. No church, no denomination, no baptism, no amount of money given, No amount of work done. No amount of mission trips. The only way is through Jesus. Jesus plus nothing. Let's pray. God, in Your great grace and in Your great mercy, You gave us rest. You saw the angst, the anxiety, the fear, the hurt, the pain of the human condition and in our angst and in our hurt and in our pain and in our worry and fear you left glory and you abided you dwelled with us you became a man suffered in every way that we have tempted in every sin that we have been tempted yet without sin you suffered the hands of the Romans, was crucified, was buried, then rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave, and have promised to give us rest in your death, burial, and resurrection. This morning, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're anxious, fearful, I want to invite you to come to Christ. He's not going to make your life better. He's not going to make everything go away. But what He will do is He will give you peace in the midst of pain. He will give you rest in the midst of angst. grace in the midst of sin. This morning, if God is calling to your heart, if he is, if the Holy Spirit is revealing to you that you you need to trust Jesus, believe in God, believe also in me, I want to invite you to come. Maybe this morning, you're already a believer, you've trusted the Lord Jesus, you've been baptized Yet, you still live with fear, hurt, anxiety. I invite you this morning to rewire your brain. Constantly preach and teach to yourself the gospel. Maybe you need to get on your knees right where you're at. Maybe you need to grab someone with you and come to this altar and pray. Whatever it is the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, may you find freedom this morning. The Scripture tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. May you find freedom this morning. As we begin this new year, may we begin resting in God's goodness. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to move in this place. It's in Jesus' name.